0: Great, I'd love you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 43, Isaiah chapter 43, it's on page 730. Now next Sunday we're going to be starting our main series for the term, which is going to be Genesis, which I'm really excited about, but we're going to do uh, Isaiah 43, you'll see why it will fit with what we've been talking about, Hope Church, I hope it'll be an encouragement for you guys as you head off, Um, and I hope it'll be a challenge and encouragement to each of us as well. So page 730. I'm just going to read verses 14 to 19, but you'll see that we're going to cover quite a lot of the chapter um, as we go through. So verse 14, this is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake I will send to Babylon and bring down as fugitives all the Babylonians in the ships in which they took pride. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's Creator, your King. This is what the Lord says, he who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and there they lay, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams. In the wasteland. We're going to focus just on that one phrase, but I hope I'm going to show you more of what that says in Isaiah 43 and how it fits. But we're going to focus on this one phrase See, I am doing a new thing. There's something about new that we like. We like a new start. Some, it's, it's a little bit unnerving, it can be a bit stressful, but we like new. September kind of has that feel of a new start, doesn't it? Oh, it's a new year, a new academic year. We've got a new church being launched. There are new places to live. Even, even if you just get a new notebook, it feels good, right? You get your new notebook, it's, like, it's unspoiled, it's brand new. There's, oh, this feels good. This is going to be the notebook I never ruin. But here's the problem with new, and you'll have noticed this, it fizzles out very quickly. New notebooks get spoiled, new jobs and lose their shine. We crave what is new, but the craving is never satisfied because it doesn't stay new, so we always need something else that's new. In fact, there isn't really anything new at all. There's an extraordinary sentence in the Bible in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 that says there is nothing new under the sun. So our craving for what is new can never be satisfied because there's nothing new. Now you may say to me, yes there is. There's an iPhone X, that's new, didn't exist before. Yes it did, it's just in bits. And all that's been done is old stuff has been reorganized to make something. There is something about new which is better than that according to the Bible. Because God speaks and he says, see, I am doing a new thing. But there's nothing new under the sun. Ah, but that's okay because God is not under the sun. God doesn't exist within this world. That's not his realm. He sits outside. He sits above the sun. He's the creator of this world. He's not... A part of creation, he is the creator. Therefore, when he says, I am doing a new thing, you'd better sit up and listen, because perhaps this is the new thing that will satisfy your craving for new. See, I'm doing a new thing. When God spoke creation into being, he did not rearrange old stuff to make something else. When God spoke, there was nothing and he spoke and there was something. That's proper new, right? That's like a new that you can't do. God is into new things. He brought something new into being. Now here's the danger. It's tempting to take this verse, see I'm doing a new thing, and to take it out of context... And to read into that verse our personal circumstances. So this is what I found. Uh, I was doing some reading about this verse. And uh, I found this on a website um, of a very, very well-known American preacher. God wants to do something new and supernatural in your life. Did you know he wants to do something supernatural in your finances? Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Can you perceive it? Are you making room for it in your mind? Or have you already made up your mind not to expect anything new due to your present circumstances? So here's what they're doing. They're saying, here's this first Look, see, I'm doing a new thing. Oh, great. God wants to do a new thing in me. God wants to give me a new new." And we take into our personal circumstances. So we say, yes, look, Hope Church Vauxhall is a new thing. See, God is doing a new thing. Now, I don't want to burst your bubble. Isaiah was not talking about Hope Church Vauxhall. God was not talking about Hope Church Vauxhall when he said, see, I'm doing a new thing. That wasn't what he was referring to. What God is talking about here is not a new job, it's not a new relationship, it's not a new toy, it's not a new gizmo, it's something far better. And we need to work out what this new thing is and then see how that answers our craving for new. So we're going to answer this question, what is the new thing? That's the big question. But before we can get to the what is the new thing, we've got two other questions we need to ask first, which is Who was this first spoken to and who is speaking it? Who is this first spoken... Who was Isaiah speaking to when he wrote down these words of God? Just as an aside, this is a very important question to ask when you're reading the Bible. You've got to work out who it was first spoken to. Otherwise, you're going to end up all over the place. God didn't just speak words that float in this kind of non-existent time thing, where you just grab hold of them and go, oh, look, this is a nice thing, I'll grab hold of that for me. Okay, here you go, let's listen to this, right? God says in the Bible, you will drink from the brook, and I have instructed the ravens to supply you with food there. Great! Let's find a brook, drink from it, and wait for the ravens. Because God says it. Of course you say, no, no, you need to know, hang on a second, that's in a story, right? God says that to a man called Elijah. Elijah is told to go and drink from a brook and wait for the ravens. So we get it. We get that that's how it works with an example like that. But you've got to see that's how it always works in the Bible. These words, see I'm doing a new thing, were spoken to very specific people at a very specific time. Real people rooted in real history. You've got to work out what's going on. So who is Isaiah speaking to? Well, he's speaking to God's people, Israel. They're not just floating in timelessness. They're rooted. Isaiah was speaking maybe around 700 BC. And the whole of his book is a pretty challenging read. The first half of his book is a devastating catalogue of judgments. There are glimpses of hope along the way, but it is a devastating catalogue of God's judgment upon his rebellious people. Can you just turn back a couple of chapters to Isaiah 39? By the way, if you want to remember how Isaiah works, and um, this is, don't read anything more into this than this is a helpful way to remember it. There are 66 chapters in Isaiah, just like there are 66 books in the Bible. And there are 39 chapters in the first half of Isaiah, just like there are 39 books in the first half of the Bible. And the big break is Isaiah 39. So chapters 1 to 39 are God's judgment. He says, I'm going to judge you, I'm going to judge you. And it climaxes in chapter 39, if you just look down at verse 5. Isaiah 39 verse 5, then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord Almighty, the time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. So God's people are going to be taken away from their land and carried off into Babylon, into exile. That is the final judgment of God on his people Israel for their rebelliousness. Their lives are going to be shattered. Their families are going to be split apart. Their homes are going to be burnt down. The familiar will be replaced with the foreign and freedom will be replaced with slavery. Joy is replaced with frustration. This is not a feel-good message from Isaiah. Oh, look, here comes Isaiah. Let's see if he's got a good message. Oh, no, here he goes again. God's people have rejected him and now they face his judgments. Now look at the very first word of part two of Isaiah's message. What's the very first word? Why don't you shout it out to three. One, two, three. Comfort. Comfort. What a word. After all the judgment, 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 you're going to be punished, you're going to be taken off into exile. Comfort, comfort my people. You see, God's message is one of judgment, but comfort for his people. He... Isaiah is speaking to people who are heading into exile, but there is still a word of comfort for them to hear. And our verse, see I'm doing a new thing, sits there, in this bit of comfort, as God speaks to his people. And when I say that, we're still answering who is this spoken to, it's spoken to God's people, but you need to know who God's people are. Right, now go to chapter 43. Go to our chapter. Let me, let's take a run up at our verse. Let me show you how the chapter works. God's people are not just any old people. Israel is not just any old nation. They are his precious, God's precious people. Look what he says, verse 43, verse 1. Now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name and you are mine. It's just one verse, right? One verse. Look what he says about whose people are. Okay, get hold of this. Forget us for a second. This is not about us yet. We'll get to us. I know we're desperate. We have to hold off on us. We're still thinking about Israel. One verse. Look what he says about Israel. He says, I created you. I formed you. I redeemed you. And I summoned you. He is their creator. The one who brought them into existence. He's their former. The one who fashioned them into a nation and gave them a land. He's their redeemer who rescues them from their enemies. And he's their king who summons them by name to be his loyal subjects. That's who God's people are. I created you, I formed you, I redeemed you, I summoned you. God is their creating, forming, rescuing king. That's who he's speaking to. And so he says to them, at the end of verse 1, so you are mine. It's hard to argue that he has a right to call them mine, right? (laughs) If he created, formed, redeemed, and summoned them. We sometimes have arguments in our house about uh, whose things belong to. Normally about dairy milk. Normally between me and my wife. And uh, it was once hidden in the raisin pot in order that I could not find it. Very sneaky, because I don't like raisins. So when would I ever look in the raisin pot? Anyway, God has absolute authority to say of his people, you are mine. God's people are his treasured, prized possession. And so he says in verse 4, since you are precious and honoured in my sight, and because I love you. You've got to remember... Remember, these are the people who we've had 40 chapters of. You are rebellious, you are stiff-necked, you are stubborn, and you are going to be punished. But you're mine. You're my precious, chosen, redeemed, created, formed, summoned people. Do you not feel it? Do you not feel God's heart for his people Israel? They're made for him. They exist to bring him glory. as what verse 7 says. You know, there's such a crisis of identity in our culture. We don't know who we are. We each have to establish our own identity. We have to be our own creator, our own former. We have to be our own rescuer. We have to be our own summoner. We have to make our own identity. For Israel, there was no question who they were. Who are you? I belong to God. One of God's people. Can you see why their rebellion was so serious? To rebel against the one who created, formed, redeemed, and summoned them, what a shocking thing to do. To seek to find an identity away from that God, to in another God, what, what a horrific thing to do. So these words are spoken to God's precious people who are facing his terrible judgment. Okay, more quickly. second question. who's speaking these words? The whole, see I'm doing a new thing. who's speaking these words? I mean so it's obvious it's God. Yes, well done. This is what the Lord says. He says that quite a few times. Let's just be clear on this. In verse 8, he sets up a courtroom. Lead out those uh, who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf. All the nations gather together and all the peoples assemble. Let's get all together. We're going to have a courtroom. We're going to decide once and for all, God versus the idols of the nations. Which of their gods foretold... Look, look. Which of their gods foretold this and proclaimed to us the former things? He says, your gods, it's not that they can't do new things. they can't even tell that a new thing's going to happen." And God says to his people, "You're my witnesses. And if you turn over the page to verse 11, look at it. Well, end of verse 10, "Before me no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. There is no other God than the Lord." I, even I, am the Lord. And apart from me, there is no saviour. And you might say to me, this sounds quite exclusive. It is. God cannot be more exclusive. He could not be more clear. There is one God, only one. All other claims to be God are false. Because he's the only one. Because there was no God before him, there will be no God after him. He's the creator, redeemer, sustainer, summoner, king. He's the one. Those of you who are old enough to remember Chesney Hawks and his one hit, Wonder, where he, I'm not singing this week, where he sang, um, I am the one and only. Thank you to those who are humming. I appreciate the audience participation. <laughs> Chesney Hawkes sang, I am the one and only, nobody I'd rather be. <laughs> it was an odd thing to sing. But on the lips of God, that is exactly right. I am the one and only. Now, we're going to see a lot more of that in Genesis. We're going to see a lot more about the uniqueness and the power and the awesomeness of our God. But for now, we need to move on. We just need to see this is an exclusive claim. This is not a pluralistic worldview. There is no space for any rivals. God speaks. So what is the new thing? With all that in place, it's spoken to God's precious people facing judgment. It's spoken by the one true creator God. What is the new thing? Well, let's run that up now to our verse. He keeps saying, reminding them who he is. Verse 14, this is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Look what he says. For your sake I will send to Babylon and bring down as fugitives all the Babylonians in the ships in which they took pride. I am the Lord, your holy one, Israel's creator, your king. God is going to send into Babylon. He's going to come into Babylon to rescue his people. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Piece all that together. What is God telling them to forget? What is the former things that God is saying to them? Forget that because something better is coming. Now, you're not going to feel the shock of this as much as they would have done. But the shock is... That the great rescue that God did when he brought his people out of Egypt and brought them out of slavery, when he took them through the Red Sea, when the Red Sea was opened and he wiped out the Egyptian army, when I brought you through the waters, that's what he's saying, I made a pathway through the sea, I did all that right. Forget that. Because I'm about to do it again, but even better. The new thing is a way back from judgment to God from judgment to blessing. That's the new thing. That's what God is promising his people. So he says, now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? This is verse 19. I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I've Formed for myself that they may proclaim my name. This is a huge promise from God. And if you were one of God's people sitting in Babylon, all that Isaiah said has come true, you've gone off to Babylon, you're sitting in Babylon, this would get your heart pumping. I'm going to do a new thing. I'm going to do a new thing. See, I'm doing a new thing. And it will make the Exodus look like nothing when you see the new thing that I'm going to do. This is the new thing. A way back to relationship with God, despite all of their wrong, all of their sin, a way back to God. He reminds them of their sin in verses 22 to 24. He says, you've not wearied yourself for me, you're not bothered with me, you're just bothered with yourself. I've not wearied you with excessive demands, but you've wearied me. By your sin. You've not wearied yourself. I've not wearied you, but you've wearied me by your sin. You've burdened me with your sin. Look at verse 25. Here it comes again. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sin no more. How is it that God is going to make a way back from the place of sin and judgment to the place of being in the pla- blessing with him, to the place of satisfaction of drinking water in the desert? He is going to blot out their sin. He's going to obliterate it. He's going to delete it completely. It's not like when you move a file and you put it in trash, but it's okay because you know you can still go in trash and get it back. Ah, I put it deleted. It. It's okay. It's still there. It's not like that. When God presses delete on your sin, when he blots out your sin, it's gone. There is no way that God can... It's gone. It's obliterated. It's blotted out forever. This is the new thing. A way back to God. At which point you might say, well, this is... Okay, fine. Well, you've really kind of spoiled this because I thought this was all about my new job. Well, it's not. Well, what is it all about then? How does it relate to us? Great, God was going to bring his people back from exile. Oh, come on. Follow this through. The people did come back from exile, but it wasn't as great as that. It didn't feel as great as the exodus because that wasn't the finish of it. Because then one day in the wilderness, a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way, prepare the way, in the wilderness, away, prepare the way. Who for? For the Lord, because God himself is coming in person into this world. And Jesus stepped onto the pages of human history and he walked this earth. And one day in John chapter 7, you can read it for yourself. He stood up and he said, if anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and drink. I will provide streams of water, do you see? The streams of water that God promised from Isaiah. The streams of water in the wilderness. Jesus says, come to me and drink. And how is Jesus able to offer us this drink? Well, it's because he is heading to go to a cross to die. And as it's as he dies on the cross that my sin is finally blotted out completely. As Jesus died on the cross, it's not just that my sin disappeared into thin air. Oh, it's gone like that essay that you were writing that's disappeared somewhere and it's gone forever. That's not what happened to my sin. The way that God dealt with my sin is by transferring my sin, taking my sin and laying all of it on Christ. And then Jesus was obliterated on the cross. He suffered exile, punishment, judgment, death for me so that my sin is gone. That's the new thing. Do you perceive it? Do you perceive that there is a way back to God? A way back from a place of failure and sin. Perhaps some of us are sitting here, I I I feel terror, I'm rubbish, I know I'm rubbish. There's a way back. It's a new thing. Two big applications as we finish. Firstly, enjoy the new thing. Celebrate the new thing. Find your satisfaction in this new thing, in Jesus and what he's done. You know, we are so sucked in by other new things. On holiday, I've just come back from holiday, and we were desperate one afternoon, we went into Tiger, the shop Tiger. I'm sorry if you like that shop. I hate it. It is full of stuff that nobody needs. I did not see one useful thing in the shop. There was a unicorn Like this. It's very odd shaped unicorn and it changed colour. I I mean sorry, if you've bought that, God bless you. But why? Okay, we went round the corner. There was a carrot sharpener. Right? Like a pencil sharpener, but for carrots. Yes. And my thought was I think I need one of those. I think that would make my life better. Because we're craving new. We always want more stuff. New stuff. Well, in Jesus is the new thing. The way back to God. That will satisfy your craving for new. Because you were created by a God for this relationship. You were created by a God for this new thing. And as you come to Christ... All that God spoke to his people Israel in Isaiah, he now speaks to you. I created you. I formed you. I redeemed you. And I summoned you. You're his precious people because of this new thing. And perhaps for some of you, this afternoon is the time when you need to, for the very first time, come to Jesus. Come and say, Yeah, I want that. I want you to blot out my sin. I want you to forgive me. I want to drink. Drink this water. Or perhaps for some of us Jesus has just become a bit old. We've lost that sense of newness. Now say, will oh, pursue it again. Pursue Christ. Drink deeply of Jesus. He calls you today. If you are thirsty today, if you are dissatisfied, if you're struggling, if your heart is cold, if your mind is distracted, if you're all over the place spiritually, he says, come drink. Come drink again. Drink deeply of me. Don't run anywhere else. There are no other saviors. Run to me. Come and drink from me. So enjoy the new thing and then be part of the new thing this world and this is where we get to hope church this is where hope church fits in hope church is not the new thing but it is part of the new thing that god is doing right because you're going to go into Vauxhall and say to people come to jesus and drink come out of the place of judgment and anger and wrath come into the place of blessing and satisfaction come and drink that's your job You're not the new thing. Jesus is the new thing. But your job is to point people to the new thing. And of course what's true for Hope Church is true for Globe Church too. What a year it would be if we spent our year seeking to call people to this new thing. And perhaps some of us, we've lost our nerve that Jesus is really that great. Well, why not spend some time as we sing in a minute, asking him to relight that fire of love for him in your heart. Why don't we pray together? Let's pray. And then we're going to sing. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God who has done a new thing. We thank you that we have a new song to sing. Because there is a way back to you. A way back from the place of judgment. A way back into relationship. A way back to drink deeply. A way back to satisfaction. Father, please help us, we pray, to run to Jesus. To pursue Jesus. And then to make him known. Father, thank you for him. Thank you for this new thing. In his name we pray. Amen.